Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, friends, the story is told. You may have heard this story. The story is told of two young fish swimming along one day. When an older fish swims past them the other way, so there's two, if you picture the this, this, uh, scene, two young fish swimming one way, an older fish swims past them the other way. The older fish, as he passes, he tips his hat uh, and he says, G'day, fellas, how's the water? And, you know, it's just sort of a nice little, little uh, greeting and the young fish keeps swimming and the older fish keeps going. But after a while, one of the, these, young, these two young fish, one of them, they kind of stop and one of them turns to the other and sort of with a bit of a confused look on his face says, Oi, mate, what in the world is water? It's a bit of an obscure kind of story. I don't know. You might have picked up the point, though. It's a parable about how there are so many things about our lives that we don't even notice. There's so many things about... Uh, and that we don't notice them because they're all around us. <laughs> so the fish didn't know what water was because they were immersed in it, right? You, uh, that's all they'd ever known. They didn't know anything different. It works for us as individuals. We've all got, we've got our own water that we swim around in, uh, our own assumptions about life and the things that we kind of carry around with us. Uh, it works on a big scale too, so we, we kind of get swept up in these big tides of thinking and assumptions that we kind of, you know, we don't choose, but they're just all around us in the society we live in. They shape us even though we don't think about it. Well, one of the things about the Bible is it's scarily good at sort of helping us to see the water around us, um, or helping us to see, kind of exposing the assumptions and all the, all the beliefs in the society around us that we get carried along by. What we saw in last week's reading, in the start of chapter 12, as the pattern of this world. Uh, the Bible paints this really captivating picture of another world, a stunningly beautiful world that is just so different from the pattern of this world, the one that we're all swimming around in. The Bible helps us to see the water we're, we're in. And we've seen that in Romans already, right? The, uh, 
the pattern of this world is that we try and justify ourselves. We try and create our own righteousness, our own kind of sense of worth. And, um, but Romans has shown us this other kind of world. It says that's impossible. You can't do that. Uh, the, the kind of bad news of the early chapters of Romans speaks about how we are enslaved to our sin and rebellion against God. We, uh, but as, if you journey through Romans with us, you'll know this. That doesn't lead Paul, the writer of this book, to despair um, because where we can't set up a righteousness of our own, God has given us the free gift of righteousness through Jesus. And so do you see what that, this kind of two different clash of worlds, right? Um, this stops us. So life, life stops about being me proving myself to everyone around me. Uh, and it's, instead it becomes me receiving and living in God's wonderful gift to me. Instead of a world where fear and selfishness reign, we read in Romans, the, the world of the gospel, the world the Bible opens up to us is a world where grace reigns. Or another kind of assumption that we just carry around with us, part of the water we swim in, part of the air we breathe. Um, we just accept in our world, don't we, that death and decay are normal, right? Death and decay are normal. But if you've read through Romans with us up to this point, you get this stunningly different picture again, right? The Bible tells us of this world where nothing can separate us from God's love, not even death, a world that is, that is groaning now, but only because it's waiting for something far more glorious and better. Well, uh, as we head into Romans 12, friends, it's another part of, part of this letter that I think helps us to see the water around us in a really st- striking sort of a way. Helps us to kind of, because it paints a picture of a world that's so different from the one that we, we kind of live in and take on all of its, the, uh, all of its patterns because in our world, we kind of, in a world that sees our lives, right, primarily as something that we achieve. Your life is something that you achieve, something you create for yourself. A world that says you can be whoever you want to be, you can be whoever you feel you are. Romans 12, this passage, it just tells this wonderful other sort of story. Life is not about you creating your own life. Life is not an achievement. Life is a gift. We don't need to live kind of restlessly trying to create our own lives. We receive it as a gift from the sovereign hand of God. Or uh, in a world that sees your identity primarily, is kind of the, the water we swim around in, your identity primarily is as an individual, right? You're an individual, you're your own person, uh, and you're not really deeply connected to the people around you. Um, Romans 12 paints this stunningly other, different, beautiful picture of uh, through, that through faith we are joined to Jesus, and because we're joined to Jesus, we're deeply and organically and really joined to each other in this body that we just talked about. We're not kind of just isolated individuals. We're part of this body. And the last one for this passage, and you can see all these in the handout uh, if you've got it there, the last one in this passage. In this kind of world that... Um, you probably, you probably heard the, the term consumerism. We kind of there's so much in the water around us, isn't it, that says that your purpose in life is to consume, is to consume stuff for your own happiness, to upgrade, to be discontent with what you got, and to live for your own fulfilment. 
Well, this other kind of world in Romans, in this passage particularly, this beautiful new purpose, not to consume, but to give of yourself, to give as God has given you, to give yourself in love and service of God and his people. Well, friends, we're going to, as we said, sort of travel through this short passage. I think it does have a really powerful message for us because it does stand out so much from the culture that's around us and a lot of the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe, the kind of assumptions we have. If you're here last week, we saw these first two verses of this chapter, right, of Romans 12, 1 to 2. It's this turning point in Paul's letter. He's gone through the, the gospel, his gospel in verses 1 to 8, and then 9 to 11 we saw this question of Israel that Paul really focused in on. And here in chapter 12 there's this turning point where Paul's saying, if all of that's true, here's, here's the difference that it makes in your life. This is, kind of, this is the outworking of all of those truths in your life. And it's all, if you remember this from last week, it's all to do with your worship. It's all to do with your worship. Um, back in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We saw way back in chapter 1, if you're here when we looked at chapter 1, way back in chapter 1, Paul's saying the big problem in our world, it all has to do with worship. Your big problem all has to do with worship in our sinful pride, we exchange our worship. We exchange worship of God for the worship of created things around us. We cut ourselves off from God. But having taken us through this journey through Romans 1 to 11, Paul now starts to talk about this new worship, this, this new worship that's made possible by the gospel, this new connection to God and outworking our lives, offering our bodies to God. And it's worth asking at this point, friends, the reason I sort of mentioned it, it's worth asking it, isn't it, what would you expect Paul to go on to talk about? What would, if, if all of that's true, we now have this restored worship where we can rightly worship God as he is. And how, What would you expect Paul to go on and talk about? Um, what true and proper worship looks like? Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, there's lots of different options being alone in the woods and finding inner peace. That sounds pretty good to me. Is that what worship is about? Maybe a particular kind of religious experience or a kind of formal ceremony or something like that? Well, as, and there's lots to say about all of those, and as helpful as they might be, isn't it interesting, friends, that the first thing, the first thing Paul turns to when he starts to talk about what this renewed, restored worship is is perhaps not what we'd expect. True and proper worship looks like real, down-to-earth, everyday grind of real relationships in the community of God's people. It looks like down-to-earth, everyday, real relationships within the community of God's people. That's worship. That's what really pleases God. And it all starts with a kind of new way of thinking. If you've got your hand out there, this new par paradigm, a new kind of way of thinking about your life, about you, who you are. In verse 3, this new way of thinking about life as a gift from God. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment 
in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, Paul knew that his life was all a gift. It was all a gift. He knew his job as an apostle. Uh, That's what he talks about when he says, by the grace God has given me. He knew that his job as an apostle wasn't because he he had earned it. It wasn't because he was good enough. Uh, It wasn't something that he had kind of earned. It was all because of God's grace to him. And he knows that that's the same for his readers, uh, the same for us. right? God has given the gift of faith to each of us. And what's faith all about? Faith is all about not achieving something. Faith is all about receiving God's gift. Receiving God's gift. And that's so refreshing, isn't it, friends? So liberating. The pattern of our world says, do not think more lowly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself as awesome. Right? Think of yourself as a star. Think of yourself as worth it. But this new worship... This pattern of the gospel says, no, you don't have to play those games. You don't have to play those games. Life isn't about claiming your own worth. You are already completely loved in Jesus. You are totally secure in him. So you can just get on and think soberly about yourself. That's what Paul talks about. You can just think soberly about yourself. You don't need to be proud. Or you don't, and you don't need to be self-defensive either. You can kind of happily acknowledge that you're not extraordinary, right? Um, you are who God has made you to be. Uh, and that's all a gift. That's all a gift from his gracious hand. You are who God has made you to be. God has made you and given you whatever capacity or abilities you have. And here's the thing, friends, isn't this wonderful, that... That, that gift, it doesn't actually say anything about you, does it? That's the, that's the whole point of a gift. It says something about the one who gives it, not about the one who receives it. Uh, and you can happily, and it also means you can happily rejoice in the gifts other people have without feeling envious or defensive, right? That's just God's gift to them. They don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's all grace, It all rebounds back to God, the giver of all these gifts. So living under this new way of thinking about life, as life as a gift, it kind of frees us. It frees us to think soberly about ourselves, not to think more highly than we ought. Uh, And by inference, I think not to think more lowly of ourselves than we ought also, but just think soberly about ourselves. But this kind of right thinking about our life isn't just for our own sake, right? It's not just for our own sake. We should think soberly about ourselves because in Christ, part of the the gift that God has brought us into and given us is to bring us into this body, this family, this this community of the church. We're part of a body, and that's what he goes on to talk about. Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't know if you belong to other kind of groups uh, around. Maybe you've sort of connected into some other community groups around. Um, You you, you connect into those groups, right, because you choose to be. You, You like the people there, or you have kind of common interests. 
maybe there's just people there you naturally click with and you enjoy being part of that group. Um, do you see how being part of this body is totally, it's so different from that. The only condition, the only condition for being a part of this body is being connected to Jesus. It's through, it's being what Paul says, in Christ. It's being in Christ. And God is, friends, God is calling out all sorts of strange people like you and me to be united together in Christ through faith in his word. We belong to each other, not because we think it'll be beneficial to us, not when we like it, not because we necessarily click well with each other. We belong to each other deeply. We belong to each other kind of in the same way as your hand belongs to your arm, right? This organic, necessary relationship. You are not your own. You belong to Christ and therefore to his body. It's a bit confronting to put it like that, right? Um, the thought that your kind of local church family isn't, isn't actually just a social club that uh, kind of you can enter in and out of when it suits, but this other reality of this real, organic, deep connection in Christ. A, a family, a community, a body that you have been brought into by God's mercy who has chosen you and given you the gift of faith. It cuts against the individualism of the water that's around us, right? It cut, totally cuts against that. And it can make us nervous. Maybe you've heard kind of stories about abusive churches who take advantage of this kind of thinking or kind of cults who squash individuality and end up causing real damage. You know, the kind of the thing that you might hear. But do you see, friends, as we kind of keep reading from the Apostle here, that that is not the picture on view here. Those, those kind of extreme things that we might be concerned that's not the That's not the picture here. This body is connected together. This is really important, isn't it? The body is not connected together through a few dominant personalities, right? Or through some other kind of structure. The body is connected together through Christ. Jesus, and this makes all the difference, friends. Jesus, the Lord of love, who gave his life for you to bring you into this body, to connect you to himself, to give you eternal hope and peace. He is the head of this body. And far from kind of squashing your individuality, the picture here, and as we read on, we'll see, the picture is of this great variety and harmony and working together where we don't all have the same function, but we use together whatever God has given us for his glory, for the building up of this body. And that's where Paul goes at the end there. You can see that in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Um, there's, there's lots in there, that, and we, we can't really go into detail about it all. Do you notice, though, up there, that there's, there's kind of two basic kind of groups um, in these gifts that make this 
body function well together. There's kind of word gifts, prophesying, teaching, encouraging, and I guess more practical sort of gifts, um, serving, giving, leading, showing mercy. Both those things are needed in this kind of a body. Um, the prophecy is probably the most sort of uh, disputed one about what that kind of looks like for us today. Again, it's probably not the sort of thing that we can spend a lot of time on here, um, but it is worth flagging that and we can chat more afterwards um, and I'm sure there'll be different opinions here. Uh, my understanding is that you kind of get two sort of different types of prophecy in, in the Bible. There's kind of big P prophecy that is new revelation that's given um, through, you think the prophets in the Old Testament, a direct kind of revelation to them that they give to God's people and, uh, and write down in Scripture. Um, I take it that that kind of prophecy, a kind of new authoritative revelation, binding revelation, I, I take it that that has finished with the completion of the Bible. Uh, but there does seem to be some kind of small p, what I call small p prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, the best I can sort of think of it, and I'll keep working at this and you can help me out if you like. Um, uh, this kind of small p prophecies. Uh, some kind of spirit-inspired application of the revealed word to a particular situation. I don't know if that's a bit wordy, but uh, a spirit-inspired kind of application of the revealed word into a particular, applica- a particular situation or circumstance. Uh, some, something like what Paul calls in 1, 1 Corinthians 14, he speaks about prophecy, the one who prophesies is one who speaks to people for their strengthening encouragement and comfort this kind of direct word to people for their strengthening encouragement comfort much more to say there but i don't want to lose the wood for the trees right okay so i just want to acknowledge that that's probably the one that's um you know most disputed um but it'd be a shame to kind of lose the big picture of what's going on here for these smaller things um and i just would like to just draw out a a handful of things three different um thoughts in in kind of connection to these things you see here um, firstly that uh, using our gifts and again this kind of maybe cuts against the water that we swim around in in our culture uh, using our gifts is for the good of the body for the good of the others it's not for our own fulfillment Uh, it sort of It'd go right against the grain of everything Paul's saying. Your, your, gifts, your gifts aren't actually for you. Um, they're for the building up of Christ's body, for his glory. And that means we hold loosely to ourselves, right? It means we'll happily offer our gifts um, and serve well where we can. It means we're not going to be put out if there are times when they're not needed or used. It, it's not about us. It's about God and his people. The second thought, though, is that these lists, they're not, the lists that Paul gives like this, they're not supposed to restrict your serving. Okay? They're not sort of meant to be restrictive. Again, that would go against the whole character of God's overflowing grace. Um, we're not supposed to say, I don't have the gift of taking out the trash, right? So I'll, I'm afraid I'll just have to leave that one to the experts. Uh, I'm yet to meet someone who thinks they have the spiritual gift of rubbish removal. Um, <laughs> You see what's going on here? This is, uh, this is more than what we feel good about doing. This is more... Uh, God's, God's gifts to us do include the desires he puts in our hearts. The thing that, I think that's true. He does give us desires and particular 
things we like and we enjoy doing and that's all part of it. Uh, But there's more than that going on. God's gifts include the resources and opportunities he gives us, the circumstances he places us in. So if I have arms that work and knees that bend, I probably have the gift of taking out the trash. Um, If you have the capacity and opportunity to serve or to give or to lead or to show mercy, then that in itself is God's gift to you. And in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, serve, encourage, teach, lead, give, show mercy. So it's not meant to restrict your kind of serving, um, but at the same time, notice uh, there's something else going on here. The last sort of thing I want to pull out from this little paragraph. Just notice that on the last three that are up there, notice how Paul really zeroes into the issue of your. Not just you doing particular things, but the way you do it. He, he zones in on the issue of your character. And this is so important, I think. Now, the last three there, if it is giving, then give. Don't just give, but give generously. If it is to lead, then don't just lead, but lead diligently. If it is to show mercy, don't just show mercy, but show mercy cheerfully. And maybe you've seen this, friends. It's possible, right, to serve, to do all sorts of things with incredible diligence and energy, but with a cold heart, a hard heart, uh, to, to give reluctantly, to lead lazily, to show mercy with a critical spirit. And why I think this is so important is it just gets right to the heart of what Paul's talking about here. Uh, This isn't about doing stuff, just doing stuff for its own sake. It's so important that we keep Romans, Romans 12 verse 1 in mind, right? All of this is in view of God's mercy. All of this is in view of Romans 1 to 11. All of this is just the natural kind of overflow of the gospel at work in us. The answer to a cold heart is to keep being warmed by the fire of God's grace, of his undeserved mercy to you, his incredible mercy to you. That will be what keeps you giving, not reluctantly, but sacrificially and generously. That will be what gives you the strength to lead diligently. And when you're leading, maybe for you it's in kids' church, maybe it's at home, maybe in a home group, in another sort of setting, and maybe when you think you'd rather not do it, um, remember God's mercy. Remember God's mercy to you, his rebellious, distracted, but deeply loved child, and lead diligently And the last one, God's mercy. Well, God's mercy to you is the only thing that will enable you to give, to show mercy cheerfully, right? That's what's going to enable you to show mercy to other people, not with a kind of critical spirit, but just cheerfully and self-forgetfully to show mercy, to give yourself without fear, because you know God has given himself for you. Well, friends, when Paul thinks about this new worship that the gospel brings us into, This is his first thought. Isn't that interesting? I think that's really important, actually. Living gospel-shaped lives together in this body 
of Christ's church. That's what worship is for Paul, the first thing he goes to, what it's about. Uh, Just a few thoughts to finish up with. I think this passage is a real encouragement to us, friends. God has been doing a wonderful work here, and it seems to me that what Paul writes in Romans is just so clearly apparent in our church family. Uh, The humble, grace-driven service of this church family is, I think, remarkable, actually, and wonderful. Um, Perhaps, and not only that, uh, but people who serve, uh, despite great things that are going on in their life that would cause them to to not. So I think it's a great encouragement. Perhaps harder as we go on, we, kind of have, we don't quite have the adrenaline of a new church plant to kind of keep us going. And as we grow in relationships with each other, as we start to get close enough to one another to annoy each other, you know, um, keep God's mercy in mind. Keep God's mercy in view and keep going, keep living as a member of this body using whatever gifts and capacities and opportunities God gives you to serve him, to build up his church. Maybe all of this is a bit, bit kind of foreign to you. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning and you know that you're not, you're not connected to Jesus in this kind of a way, right? You haven't put your trust in him. Uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to see the, to this morning, just see the beauty of this alternate world to start to see the water that you're swimming around in and kind of just see the the beauty of this other way of living not an individualist sort of consumer attitude to life but part of God's family of this body of Christ a life freed from the anxiety of performance a life lived under God's gift it really is God's gift this life is freely offered to you through Jesus and and it is given to you when you put your faith in him. But lastly, I just want to um, acknowledge also that there are times for all of us when we kind of read passages like this and we, think, we, we acknowledge uh, our own failing in this regard. Maybe you're, you, kind of, you know if you're honest, you've been living against what you hear in Romans 12, this uh, life of humble, joyful, grace-filled service. Uh, maybe, you can, maybe you can identify that you have conformed to the pattern of this world that Paul has asked us not to do, has exhorted us not to do. And, and maybe you've done that in the way that you think about church, about our church in a kind of, maybe that kind of individualist, consumerist kind of way. Friends, for you and for all of us, and for all of us when that kind of that ha- comes to us, um, the answer isn't rocket science, it's the whole of the Christian life is repentance and faith. Uh, the answer is to r- acknowledge that and to recognise it, to turn from it and to hear again the wonderful news of God's love, of his total forgiveness for you through the cross and to entrust yourself to his mercy, to be warmed, have your heart warmed at the fire of God's grace so that you might have this new way of thinking about your life, that you might have this new worship restored through the mercy of God. 
friends, remember the gospel. Remember that this life I live is not my own, for my Redeemer paid the price. Remember that he took it to be his alone, to be his treasure and his prize. The things of earth I leave behind to live in worship of my King. His is the right to rule my life. Mine is the joy to live for him. We're going to sing that in a moment, but I'm going to pray for us first. Father, we thank you so much for your work among us. We thank you for your incredible grace to us in the gospel. We thank you for calling out this church family. And Father, we just, we do thank you and we rejoice in the way in which um, uh, gracious, humble, self-sacrificial service is so clearly evident among us. Thank you for that work. We know it's all a gift from you. We do pray that you'll help us to use our gifts well for your glory. Uh, Help us to kind of be aware of some of the patterns of this world that might shape our thinking. Uh, Help us to turn away from them and to remember once again your, your, your mercy to us to put our trust in Jesus. Uh, We do pray into the future, Father, that this church might be one that continues to show these things, that we might um, know that we are uh, connected to each other deeply and organically through Jesus, uh, that we might um, serve in your church. uh, And that all might be an expression, not firstly of our relationship to each other, but firstly an expression of our relationship to you, of our worship of you. Um, Please continue to make us right worshippers, Lord, we pray, and we pray that for your glory and for the sake of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.